This morning we move into the book of Exodus and we'll be on it on Sundays. And also, if you want, uh, you can participate in a Bible study, which is Sunday evenings and Tuesday mornings. But we come to uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 on your pew Bible. It's on page 48, though that's a slightly different version than the one that I will give you uh, this morning. Then a new king uh, came to power to whom Joseph meant nothing. He said, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. He said to his people, come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemy and fight against us and leave the country. So he set slave masters over them who crushed them with forced labor. And they built for Pharaoh storehouses at Python and Ramses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few years ago, one of our pastors, Scott Hare, had the opportunity to go and study um, about Egypt. And so when he came home from Egypt, I was really surprised with the things that he told me. And one of the things that was most surprising was that for many, many years, being an Israelite working for Pharaoh in Egypt wasn't a bad gig at all. In fact, you had a 10-day work week, but a three-day weekend. And while you were working for Pharaoh, uh, you got a day's supply every day of bread and wine and even maid service for the, the place in which you were living. And to top it off, there was always free beer. Some of my friends already were trying to move there. And six months a year, you worked for Pharaoh on his building projects. And then six months a year, there in the land of Goshen, a very fertile country, if you've ever seen it, you were able to raise your own crops. It was a wonderful deal. But a new Pharaoh came to power. One to whom Joseph meant nothing, or another translation is, he forgot Joseph or did not know Joseph, and things changed. And suddenly work camps became death camps, and life became oppressive. Well, who was this new Pharaoh? Who changed everything? Who didn't care to know about Joseph? Uh, Truth of the matter is, the Bible doesn't say who he is. We have guesses. Some say that he's Ramses, and therefore his son, Ramses II, is the pharaoh of uh, the Exodus, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, which we'll talk about uh, some weeks later. And that could be. It is interesting to note, though, that the storehouses of Ram- at Ramses and Python were actually built a hundred years before Ramses I. So some scholars wonder about that, but then again, there's a way to translate the language that doesn't necessarily mean the Hebrews built them from scratch, but maybe they were adding on to them or even remodeling them. So Ramses and Ramses II could be a pretty good guess. Others say that it was a great conqueror named Tutmos III, King Tut, but only another version of King Tut. A great conqueror, a mighty man whose policies probably wouldn't have been too different from the policies we read about in Exodus 1. And then his son who comes to the throne uh, and is the pharaoh of the Exodus then becomes Amenhotep II. What's interesting is we do know from history that Amenhotep II didn't have any heirs. And when you put it together with the Bible story of the death of the firstborn, makes him an interesting candidate. But the fact of the matter is, we just don't know. And the Bible doesn't tell us 
and doesn't even seem to want to tell us. I wonder why. I wonder if it could be that the Bible doesn't care to remember a Pharaoh who didn't care to remember Joseph or his God. The only thing we find out about this Pharaoh by way of description here in the first chapter is that Joseph means nothing to him. Or another translation, he forgot Joseph. And to forget Joseph is not a minor oversight. You'll recall Joseph fed in a hungry world. And during uh, the years of famine, as the world came to Joseph to be fed, other Egyptians came, and so he started trading them food for land. And Joseph pretty well built uh, quite an empire for the Pharaoh. And to forget him is pretty incredible. And to forget the God of Joseph, who blessed not only Joseph, but all of the Egyptians, is even worse. To forget Joseph is tantamount to forgetting God, and that's what this Pharaoh did. Not only did he forget God, he basically declared war on God. And we'll see that through the next several weeks. You'll see that Pharaoh is basically just going to set himself up against the God of Moses. And, and it's almost like a, a Wild West showdown. Now we already know who wins. But it's clear that Pharaoh sets himself up in, in opposition to God. What's interesting, I didn't uh, read you the whole chapter, chapter 1. You'll probably remember that another uh, effort to try to uh, crush the Hebrews and keep them from multiplying was to uh, try to kill the babies when they're born uh, through the midwives. That fails, and so he comes up with this decree to take every baby boy and toss them into the Nile River. But what's interesting is that every Jew would have understood that the first commandment that God ever gave, not the Ten Commandments, but the first commandment God ever gave was in Genesis. Anybody know? The first thing he told Adam and Eve to do was to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the very first thing God asked them to do. And so what's the very first thing this new Pharaoh does? He says, I'm going to stop them from multiplying. It's clear to everybody watching this on TV. That this is a showdown. Pharaoh and God, and Pharaoh has forgotten God and even declared war on God. Now what I wanted to do for just a moment is to talk about what effects does it have on Pharaoh and on me when I forget God, when I leave God out of the picture. Well, one of the first things that happens is Pharaoh becomes very fearful. The new Pharaoh decides uh, that these Israelites are going to lead a revolt against him. And he has no evidence of the past 400 years to support that theory. But that's his theory. And out of fear, he makes them out to be more numerous and even worse than they would be. He has to make up stories about him. It's not about what the Israelites have done in the past. It's what they might do if war breaks out in the future. Pharaoh and his fear is not his best self. Pharaoh and his fear begins to believe lies. Sometimes when we live God out of the picture, one of the first things that enters in is fear. And we think that there won't be enough or that nobody cares or that we've got to figure this out for ourselves, just like Pharaoh. So Pharaoh also becomes quite calculating. And he comes up with a couple of plans. The first one is to use these midwives to try to stop uh, the Hebrew births. And that doesn't work. And then he comes up um, with this plan to kill all the male babies, which is an interesting plan. But if the Pharaoh, if chapter 1 is Ramses, that's pretty interesting. We know that Ramses fathered more than 70 kids. He probably should know it takes more than a man to multiply. To have babies, you might want to pay attention to the women. But he doesn't. In his, in his crazed state, all he can think of is, 
baby boys, get rid of them. He becomes manipulative. He becomes controlling. And Pharaoh becomes a person nobody wants to be around. That's what happens when you forget God, when you leave God out of the picture. It happens to Pharaoh. It it happens to me. It could happen to you. But I also want you to think for a moment, the effect is not just on Pharaoh. The effect's on all of his people. Because what happens? The thing he worries about, according to this chapter, is that they're going to revolt and leave the country. Well, by his oppression, what does he guarantee? They're going to revolt and leave the country. So there's a labor shortage, so somebody else is going to have to do the dirty work of all Pharaoh's building, his own people. The second thing uh, that's pretty clear is uh, they, they will suffer a lot. They'll suffer through plagues. Remember the plagues? We'll, we'll go back through them in the next few weeks. Gnats, flies, hemorrhoids. And it gets worse. Look at all the stuff that happens to his people because he forgets. And then finally, as you probably already know, on the night of the Passover, the death of all the firstborn in his nation. When Pharaoh forgets God, it hurts him. But even more, it hurts his people. Now, you may be a step ahead of me. You may be saying, well, wait a minute. Aren't Pharaoh's people innocent? I mean, are they just collateral damage? That doesn't seem right or fair. Well, it's interesting to me that chapter 1 is very clear that Pharaoh does not make up this plan alone. He gathers his people. Now, I know he doesn't grab everybody who lives in Egypt, but it says he gets his people and he says, Come, let us deal shrewdly with him. There are no innocent bystanders in chapter 1. Pharaoh's people are willing to go along with the plan of a madman. And they will bear responsibility and pay a heavy price. All because one man forgets. What's interesting in the story is that Pharaoh is never named. So we don't really know who he is for sure. But do you know who does get named? These slaves. The 12 tribes who will become slaves, they get named right at the start of chapter 1. The midwives who try to save the Hebrew babies, Shipra and Pua, they get named. It's not that God doesn't know everybody's name. God just chooses to remember some, but not to remember the one who forgot. The story in the scripture is about a God who remembers, who knows us individually and remembers now, I've talked with you, uh, with you about this before, but just quick uh, rerun. To remember in Hebrew doesn't mean to call it to mind. It means to call it to action. So that if I go, oh, yeah, my anniversary is, and I, and I name the day and nothing else happens because of that, I have not remembered our anniversary. And I'll be reminded. But if it's your birthday and I acknowledge it in some way, then I have remembered When God remembers, he does things. And we'll talk about what he does starting next week. But the story is a story of Pharaoh who doesn't really know the Israelites. He makes up lies about them. All he knows is there's a bunch of them. He doesn't care about any of them. The story of God is that even though there's a bunch of us, he knows each of us by name and cares about each of us by name. Isaiah put it this way. The prophet Isaiah said, That God has our names engraved on the palm of God's hand. Six and a half billion of us. But God knows us. 
Have you ever sat in a stadium with 100,000 people and wondered, how in the world could you know this many people? But God does. Echoing this, this is what Jesus said to his disciples in the 10th chapter of John. I know my sheep and I call them by name. Name. Jesus knows our name. The Father knows our name. Pharaoh doesn't give a rip about our name. This is what Augustine said centuries ago. He said, God loves each of us as if we were the only person on the planet to love. Each of us is known intimately and deeply. Each of us is remembered. That's the story here. It's about a Pharaoh who forgets. It's about a pastor who forgets. But it's about a God who does not forget. A God who knows each one personally. Fred Craddock was talking about the early days of his ministry and he went to the home of a grieving mother. She had 11 children and one of her children, who was 17 years old, had, had died. And in her grief, uh, surrounded by her other 10 children, she called out, I wish I'd never had any children. And Fred went to calm the other 10 down and he said, oh, oh, she doesn't mean that. She doesn't mean that. And one of the 10 children said, yes, she does. But she would say the exact same thing if it had been any of us who had died. Eleven children, and yet each of them knew they were known. Each of them knew they mattered. Each of them knew their mother cared. Pharaoh, you're just a number. God, your name. You matter. God cares. I may forget. You may forget. God never forgets.